everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike Erie, Timothy John Stafford here, coming at you, and we are grateful as always to play a part in your life. Welcome to this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, there is a lot happening in our world, my goodness. And um, Tim, you and I, um, I think, are probably two of the best looking people to deal with the world's problems. Would you agree with this? <laughs> Yes, that should probably be in our bio. Yes, so we're we're here for hot takes, cold takes, um, whatever whatever takes we're we're here to do. It lukewarm is our specialty, actually. (laughs) Mediocre (laughs) takes, middle aged white takes. We're we're just we got them. Um, Oatmeal has been left on the shelf too long. Takes yes, yes. If if our theological podcast were a food, it would be oatmeal, steel cut oatmeal. (laughs) With no brown sugar, you know. Oh, I had that for breakfast this morning, but I did have brown sugar. Yeah, see. Um, anyway, friends, thanks. Um, a couple of things to start off always. We always want to just thank people that come onto our team uh, to participate and support. And so I want to say, and, I, and, and thank you for all of those who reminded me it was Romper Room uh, <laughs> last week. So yep. I think, I see Pamela. And I see Kyle, and I see there's one more, Mike. And so um, thank you guys very much. We, I know, I know uh, you get tired of, uh, you have to get tired of us saying this, but the honor we feel in being a part of a millennia-long conversation of people wrestling with the text. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is like, I to be curious, to be perpetually curious and awestruck and wonder and dumbfounded and confused and but but to have this have this text that just it just it doesn't just sit there to me. It's not flat, it's working and yeah. I'm wrestling with it and we're 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 struggling to try to understand and I mean what a glorious thing to be a part of. <laughs> and so thank you for all of you who validate that and um, and support us, and it just means a lot, and we really do. It's a highlight uh, always of the week to kind of get together, and uh, and then we're always eager just to see um, what sort of nonsense uh, comes out because we yep. we don't script these. Um, I know I I have no idea what's about to come. Yes, yes, I have I have a bit of an idea, but you know we'll yeah. see. So anyway, friends, thank you. Um, if you would like, rate, subscribe. I know all of that. You know that's the standard podcast ask, but it all helps. It really does. So as part of our um, coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I've bis- I've been wrestling like deeply in my own heart with the disjunct between the image of life in the kingdom that Jesus gives versus the image of life in Christianity that the church gives and um, how different those two things seem and feel. And, and there've been some, some things that have happened that I've observed um, that, that have forced me into a posture of, okay, um, th- there's something more to the story that I, I have to believe we're missing. Um, one of those things, it's been super interesting for me to watch. Tim Keller is a, a white 
older. She's in his 60s, I believe. He's a reformed theologian. He's, he's man, he, I think he was one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition. He seems, he's one of our most um, uh, public intellectuals for not only the reformed movement, but just white evangelicalism. Um, he has... He he has been in New York City talking to upwardly mobile New Yorkers for decades, and so he's yeah. uh, the, the amount of respect that this guy has, and 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 earned from what we can tell. I mean, really smart, really gracious, really whatever. Well, the last couple, two or three weeks on his Twitter account, he doesn't tweet often, but he he just he jumped in with. And I, I don't know if there is an antecedent to this or not, but he jumped in with, um, hey, the the sex outside of covenant marriage is dehumanizing. Now, he said it better than that. But, you know, you would imagine the responses that got. Um, and then and then he kept and it was he you know, was working hard at being very gracious with people who were dismissive from every angle. But it was fascinating is that that evolved into purity culture. And and so I'm watching Keller publicly try to articulate a version of the Orthodox Christian position in, in the Twitter sphere that doesn't even grant the categories that make such an articulation possible. You know what hmm. I mean? Yeah. And it's absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, it's it, it's as if... Um, it's as if a Martian and Bigfoot were trying to communicate through <laughs> an English. I mean, it's like, there's just the category. It's just, so I, I've been sitting there and I, and then I'm also thinking a lot about something my daughter said. Um, I learn a lot. My children are my guides in the way of Jesus. Um, uh, my daughter is, um, She's a remarkable young lady. She has a heart for marginalized people that, you know, that like many in her generation, but it's, she comes by it authentically because her mom, same way. But she, she and I have talked a lot about faith and she really wrestles with church and faith and the, the wedding of politics, uh, conservative politics to Christianity. And she's a, she just doesn't want to really be associated with any of it. And we were talking one day and she said, you know, if I have to choose between loving my gay friends and loving God, I'm going to choose loving my gay friends. Mm -hmm. And that in summary, you know, just opened up this like, yeah, you're right. And, and we framed the story in ways that make it seem like we have to choose. Yeah. Um, and, and so I bring up the Keller thing. I bring up that thing and I bring up this, this, this beautiful art. I mean, ever since the rabbis got a hold of Torah, man, they've just been commentating, right? The rest is commentary. I mean, here we are and we're joining in that huge epic tradition, but what it's generated in me, I guess this is a very long intro. Not that anyone is particularly caring. I'm listening, but well, <laughs> you're stuck. Um, <laughs> what it's generated in me is the holy task of, of being forced back to the text to go, mm. is this what it's saying? Now, there's always the temptation 
and we all give into it. It's just a matter of degree of, of coming to the text, looking for what I want to be true in the text. Right. That is, that is, that is the core of our idolatrous hearts. No question about it. So I can point to angry reformed theologians and say, well, you're just finding what you want. I can, I can point to, you know, pluralistic, progressive lover you're just finding what you want i can point to people like me we're trying to somehow wrestle in the midst of all of those and you're finding what you want so obviously as free agents god has given us the ability to participate in his project and to do so on a continuum uh from kind of faithful to not faithful but perfectly embodied is not ever going to be the goal <laughs> so so Part of what we're doing uh, these last couple of episodes is trying to articulate a story or the biblical story or to try to articulate the story the Bible's telling in ways that are bigger than the categories I grew up with. Because I think there are a lot of us Gen Xers and, and maybe some millennials, um, certainly boomers, of course, but we were raised with the threat of hell hanging over our heads. And the motivation for following Jesus was judgment. The motivation for believing in Jesus was to avoid hell. And the motivation to share Jesus to people was get them out of hell. And so mm -hmm. hell became this very important theological piece to church life, discipleship life. And, um, and I've read a number of scholars and looked at a number of texts that, that seem to call out the inordinate emphasis that we've put on hell, not only as a, a of doctrinal importance, like you have to have this certain view, but also the way it's used and the way we tell the Christian story. Yeah. And so um, what I want to do is I, I want to spend, I want to pick up where we la left off. And I know this stuff is thick. You guys are amazing that there are so many great conversation podcasts out there, great interview podcasts out there, but somehow you managed to sit through Tim and I wrestling through this heavy, thick stuff. I just am so grateful that you would. Because, uh, again, we don't practice a script. We're, we're, we're just sitting in this, <laughs> trying to work it out, you know? So, um, instead of the, here is the earth and people are on it, and then they live a certain way and go to heaven or hell, and judgment is that determination, we've been trying to say, well, okay, if you take the Bible very seriously the opening and closing chapters are a lot alike and they don't mm -hmm. involve hell. They, they talk about heaven and earth. And when you begin to trace the themes of heaven and earth throughout the biblical story, that's the story. Um, the, the, the humans ruling over the earth, the humans giving up their rule over the earth, the prince of power, the principalities and powers now dominating the humans and subjugating creation. And that Jesus comes to liberate not just human souls to heaven, but the earth itself yeah. into this picture of new creation that is an Old Testament image. It's not something we just cooked up at the end. Peter refers to it. Um, and, and, and it's fascinating. In the earliest preaching of the church, um, Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about it as the renewal of all things. He calls whatever's happening in the future the renewal of all things. And in Acts... Um, I, I believe it's Peter talks about, um, heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes to restore everything. Um, or then in, in Colossians, Paul talks about, 
uh, through Jesus, God intends to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things on earth. And yeah. so, so you have, you have an articulation like in these summary statements of a story that's so much bigger than um, the heaven and hell story. And, um, and so what we want to do as we've been working through um, uh, some conceptual ideas about how the story unfolds and the story unfolds in this telling by the creation of heaven and earth, by the rupture um, of heaven and earth, that, that wills are now done on the earth and aren't God's. And yeah. that there now is, there, there's still overlap. It's not like heaven is up there and we're down here. Um, but heaven is a realm of authority now and earth is a realm of authority. And those, and although they overlap, they're, they're interlocked in conflict. And, um, and so Jesus comes announcing that the rule of the heavens is, is, it's here and, and Jesus dies and rises from the again. And so he, he creates in his wake, a pollution free space for new creation hmm. to begin to bloom and blossom. And, and, and the trail in the wake of that new creation blossom are these, these expressions of Jesus people and communities. Yeah. And that, that they take up again, the original project given to Adam, to Eve, to Abram, um, to bring, bring blessing and flourishing to the, to the earth. And, and that, that though they can achieve um, great things. They will never achieve that on their own. And so there is a great, there is a great in the Bible's word for it is a judgment, a truth telling about mm -hmm. what has gone on in the world. The blood cries out from the ground, the lies and motives that we've hidden and told, right? All of that, the, the truth of that has to take place for this renewal or reconciliation a restoration to take place. One of the images we saw of that was the image of fire, right? And far from being destructive, although it can be used that way for sure, there are instances where fire does destruct. As it pertains to the fire of new creation, that is a purifying image. And that fire is going to burn away and lay bare what's already true of the world. The other image, um, and there are others, but the other big image, just we'll, we'll hit real quick, is the image of light. Um, there is obviously in the the story ends with just the declaration: God is light. Um, there's no, there'll be no more night in whatever new creation is. And again, I mean, these are pictures. I have no idea what that means. They do not need light of a lamp or light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light. Um, so God is consuming fire. God lives in absolute light. So Paul takes that idea and, and says, uh, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart. There's a great light switch being turned on at the end of the age where we'll just simply see what is true. So if fire reveals what is real, light reveals what is true. And all of our deceptions, all of our justifications, we'll see the weight of the, the things that we've done and things done to us. But, but it's interesting, and, and I'm speculating here, because it does seem... You know, the, the images don't seem to line up with this 
Like we all wait in line before a big throne and there's a YouTube video of my life that plays. It's almost like, um, like light doesn't have to do anything. Light just appears and it does its work. There's nothing extra it has to do. Like I was thinking about, um, when I'm around somebody who's fit and I don't mean like a workout buff who just goes nuts and is narcissistic, but I just mean someone who takes me. Yes. I'm talking about somebody who's just takes really good care of themselves. They're very self-disciplined. Um, they're very intentional and I'm not, um, and they don't have to ever look at me and say, Hey, you really, you really should adopt my way of life. (laughs) Right. They never, right. They'll never, they would never, um, but their mere existence in contrast to me calls out something. Do you know what I mean? It reveals something. It's, it's like, um, when I'm around somebody who just radiates the character of Jesus and I realize, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm so anxious and I'm so pushy and I'm so <laughs> right. It's not, they're not doing anything. Totally. It's just their light that exposes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know if this is an accurate picture or not. I'm not saying this is what the scripture teaches, but the idea is we get a fire and light, bring those sorts of imaginations to mind in me yeah that that and i and i see a bit of bible in this because um isaiah gets this vision of yahweh on the throne and he just says woe is me i am undone it doesn't yahweh doesn't do anything yahweh doesn't say hey man here's the list it's just you're in the presence and it's like oh oh (laughs) or or when peter this is the one i really resonate with peter so, so obviously Peter's been fishing all night. Peter knows fishing. This rabbi who Peter has met before shows up and is like, okay, can I borrow your boat? Sure. Hey, why don't you throw out your nets in the daytime when the fish can see them? And he's like, dude, really? And he does. Catches a huge <laughs> haul of fish. And then he just looks at Jesus and he says, get away from me. I am a sinful man. Hmm. Like Jesus didn't have to do a thing. And so, so the image I get, and again, nothing inspired about this, but the image that cultivates in me is just of when, when pure, unadulterated love in its relentless, most fiercest form, um, pure, unadulterated goodness, undiluted holiness, when that, when that is that is put on display. Um, I just don't know that there's an accounting that says, Oh, well, yeah, I stole that thing in eighth grade. And you know, I think it's a much, it's much like, Oh my, I had no idea the vocation God you had for us to take up. And I had no idea how little I've settled for that, you know, sort of vocation. I don't know if that's true. So Jesus uses an image that's very similar in Luke chapter 12. We, we covered this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, when it, Jesus introduced the idea of a hypocrite. A hypocrite, of course, was a stage actor who wore a mask. And it wasn't right. a bad thing. It was just, you were an actor. I mean, it'd be, right. it'd be like all of a sudden turning the word actor into this negative word. 
and, and and you and we can get we can see how it gets there, right? Because sometimes if you're like, oh, he's just acting, we know that's a bad right. thing. Totally, yeah. So Jesus introduces the idea of of uh, the Pharisees being hypocrites. He says, and this is from Luke 12. We were riffing on it um, out of Matthew 6. But he says, you know, he's warning his disciples, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Right? They think they're hiding who they really are, but that will be seen for what they really are. He says, what you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear will, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the roofs. Right, so so it's it's the idea um, it's the idea that there is a there the light of truth will come on, and all of our hiding and pretending doesn't account to to anything in in view of God's ferocious character. And ferocious, not in a bad way, but just like I'm thinking of like if you've ever been in a moment that's been so purely loving, like there's yeah. something like there's something uncomfortable there. It's like we we just can't fathom. I think what what love what a being who generates and is ge- and is animated by just love in its purest form would be like you right, know totally <laughs> and um and so so he warns the disciples against this practice right and it's the it's the it's the great temptation of all religious people you know before and since is to portray a, a thing that you're not and so we've we've worked on that. We don't need to spend a lot of time on. But what he does at the end, is he attaches this to hell. He says, "I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body and after that do no more. Um, I will show you whom you should fear." Now, I think what Jesus is doing is he's talking about a future for the disciples i think what he's saying is you're 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 going to have a temptation in the future as my disciple to pretend and and right. what will be behind your pretending is that you will be afraid yeah uh i tell you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill uh kill the body and after that do no more but i will show you whom you should fear fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell yes i tell you fear him now we can't this Luke text is an awkward jump off point because immediately after this, immediately after this, Jesus talks about are not two sparrows worth, you know, are, aren't you worth more than two sparrows and the hairs of your head are numbered and how loving and amazing God is. So, so Jesus is doing something very, very specific here. He's not, he's not saying, Hey, don't be afraid of people, man. Be afraid of God in the same way you're afraid of people. No, no, no. He's not, he's not saying that at all. But he's introducing the idea uh, of Gehenna, and we need to do a bit of work on Gehenna to understand what Jesus is saying here. So I'm taking the image of light, showing how Paul uses it in one image, Jesus uses it in a different image, and Jesus then at the end of his comment about uh, hypocrisy introduces us to hell, which is the word Gehenna. And I want to talk about that word and how it functions, because it's the word that Jesus uses it's the almost it's translated hell every time and um and it is uh if we're going to honor the number of occurrences of the word hell in the new testament there are almost i think it's 11 of 13 or 14 that are on the lips of jesus and refer to gehenna 
So we got to do some work on Gehenna. All right. Gehenna. Yes. Gehead at it. Gehenna is really a combination of a couple of uh, Aramaic words, I think. Um, And it stands for the Valley of Hinnom. H-I-N-N-O-M. And and, and it's a real valley. I've been there. Um, It's outside of one of the corners of Jerusalem. Um, So Gehenna shows up as the the Valley of Ben-Hinnom or Hinnom. Or sometimes there's a region in the valley called Topet. Uh, which is referred to the the big thing. There, there's an Old Testament thing when Jesus uses this. It, it'd be like um, it'd be like me saying, "Hey, um, you guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right?" Like there's a Sodom and Gomorrah. N- not only was a city and something happened to it, but but it became a symbol, right, for something. All right, this is how Gehenna is going to function. Gehenna was a real place, and um, and there, I mean, just you can do loads of work on where it is, what it was like, what happened there. Um, but but the in Second Kings, um, Ahaz, one of the wicked kings, desecrated Topet, which was in the valley of Ben Hinnom, so that no one. So no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Molech. Get Ben Hinnom <laughs> was the place. A lot of names there. I know a lot of names. It was the place where children had been sacrificed, burnt uh, through burnt offerings to the god Molech. Okay. Wow. So okay. so yes. So this is um, this is Jeremiah seven. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes. They have set up detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. Obviously a reference to a city. They have built the high places of Topet in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is Gehenna, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware... Then he pronounces judgment. The days are coming when people will no longer call it Topet or Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but they'll call it the Valley of Slaughter, for they will bury the, the, the dead there. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, my anger and wrath will be poured out on this place, Gehenna, and on man and beast and on the trees of the field, crops of land, and it will burn and not be quenched. All right. Now, again, there's historical backstory here galore. You have several Jeremiah uh, passages. You've got some Second Chronicles. You've got a reference in Second Kings uh, or First Kings. I don't remember. Um, I think it's First. Uh, but the the key point for our purposes is that Gehenna was the valley in the Old Testament that was known for the sacrifice, the sacrifices of Israelites of their sons and daughters to a false god. Wow. Okay. All right. It yeah. was a place of fire. Yeah. Oh. And so it had this notorious, obviously, uh, this notorious ring to it that, um, and and, and it's fascinating, by the way, that the fires of Gehenna were lit by human hands. Yes. This was, so, so it's just an interesting historical reference. This wasn't God punishing people outside the city. Yeah, this, this was, was like what God's Sarlacc pit outside of the town that right nice yeah. Star Wars reference but this is so important 
This isn't God creating a space to go torture people. This is a way of life the people chose that started with idolatry and that ended yeah. with them outside the city. Yeah. Sacrificing their children to this false god. Wow. Okay? So think about that image. That's the Gehenna image. The Gehenna image is not God torturing people in a fire. It's right. people lighting the fires themselves yeah. because they turned away from the worship of Yahweh. How about that yumminess? All right. All right? Yeah. All right. Um, so so the, there is, Gehenna was a place of idolatry and injustice. I mean, the most, and, the, and, and, and God judges. I mean, Gehenna also becomes a place where, I, I think it was Assyria. Again, I should know this, but I think it was Assyria. The Assyrians raided Jerusalem and the dead were piled outside of the city that uh, valley there's an ancient scribal tradition that says it was a garbage dump but that's super late that's like a thousand years <laughs> late and so it's we're a not rough sure spot. yeah it, regardless yeah regardless um gehenna was a place that humans released yeah it wasn't a place which totally comports by the way with James in the New Testament's understanding that hell is not just a place but a power that is released also. Hmm. In James chapter 3, James talks about the power of the tongue to bless and to curse and to slander people. And when people slander other people, their tongues are lit on fire by hell. So, so the idea is that hell isn't just a place, although Gehenna was a place, but hell is also a power at work in the world through the way that we speak to each other. Is James in James, is that is that the same word? Is that Gehenna yeah. as well? Yep. Yep. It's interesting. So, so a couple of things to notice about Gehenna. One, and this is super important. We've already covered it. Fires were lit by human hands. Okay, number two, Yes. it was the inevitable result of a series of a way of life. This was not arbitrary. They didn't just wake up one day and go, hey, let's sacrifice our kids. This, right. this has been building for generations. Yeah. Okay, and the Israelite kings uh, and leadership were responsible. Thirdly, Gehenna was outside the city. So Jerusalem literally means shalom of God. Okay, that's what the city name means. So the picture you get is shalom is obviously where the flourishing of God takes hold and, um, and, and his peace, again, peace isn't strong enough a word, but the unity and the organic interconnectedness of everything as it should be, all right? Jerusalem was to be, and Jerusalem was to be what the tabernacle was and right. what the temple was, right? It was to be where Eden is restored. Right, yeah. A place of the shalom of God. And so the sin happened outside the city, and the judgment of the sin happened outside the city. Okay, the yeah. judgment wasn't that they sacrificed their kids in fire, right? God judged them otherwise, but the sacrificing of the fire, the Gehenna piece, wasn't the judgment, right? That was something they did themselves. Yeah, right. yeah, gotcha. Got, no. All right, now this goes 
back into um, Revelation 21 and 22, all right? Um, because we get a picture, uh, if, if we're trying to mirror Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, yeah. it's fascinating. We get a picture of people outside the city, um, right? right? And, yep. uh, and, and again, you can look all of this up. I don't have to take my word uh, for uh, on this. It's you the can... reading rainbow disclaimer. Oh my goodness! Don't take yeah. my word for it. Yeah, um, it's fascinating. There are three places the wicked seem to be located in Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. All right, one is in a late, uh, lake of fire. One is excluded from the city, and number three outside the city gates. Yeah. So three okay. images. In a lake of fire, excluded from the city and outside the city gates. All right? Yeah. So so the big idea I want to explore is that hell is exile. Um, okay. Because there seems to be a, a, a trend, uh, a reoccurring theme over and over and over again. Whatever hell is, it's not... It's not... Um, uh, the conscious burning place of torment. Right. Um, it's exile. So, so we start in Genesis with, uh, what does God do in response to the sin uh, of Eden? Exile. He exiles them. He banishes them from the city. He still loves them yeah. with them. Yeah. What's he do with Israel and their sin? Yeah. This is interesting. Well, hold on. Play with me. Oh, exile. Yep. Where does Jesus? Or, why? Why does? Why do the gospels make a big deal of the fact that Jesus died outside the city? Oh, right. Hebrews makes a big deal of that too. It seems. Yeah. Right, and then you get, and then you get to this picture of a new heaven, new earth, Jerusalem, and then outside the city. Right. And I don't know if it's in a lake of fire, or excluded, or outside. I mean, the images sort of. I think the images are designed to not give us a literal picture at all, but to just say. Whatever it is, you're missing out on the shalom of God. Yeah. And then when you look at Jesus' uses of the word Gehenna, notice how they're almost all outside. Okay, so um, this is all, this is all of his references, and I'm using them out of context, but I just I'm barraging to show yeah, the yeah. outsideness of this. The subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. Now remember, Jerusalem is a city set on a hill full of light. Yeah, totally. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness so there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness so there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Um, I tell you, uh, anyone who says you fool uh, will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna. Uh, if your right eye causes you to stumble, better to throw it out than your, for whole, your whole body be thrown into Gehenna. Um, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it out, rather than your whole body go to Gehenna. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both, both body and soul in Gehenna. Um, and then he repeats, if you enter life with one eye rather than two eyes, it's better uh, than it have been thrown in <laughs> Gehenna. Right? To the Pharisees, you make your converts twice a child of Gehenna as you. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being um, condemned to Gehenna? And then Mark repeats the two eyes, uh, you know, if your eyes causes, uh, if your eyes cause you to stumble, your hand causes you to stumble, whatever, cut them off. He repeats that. Uh, Luke repeats, 
And then you have James, um, uh, which we already covered. But notice what, what's common with the Jesus, yeah. right? It's all outside. Out, yeah. Now, Jesus does use, and, and, and obviously we're going to get this question. Uh, he talks about in Matthew 25, everlasting punishment. So there are everlasting punishment texts we got to deal with. But, but the big thing I want to introduce at this point is a theme yeah. that I think you've seen. Yeah. That in order, in order for the new creation to be the new creation, the truth, uh, the light of truth comes on, the fire of holiness burns, some of what we do stays, right? Paul gave us that image last time. But then there are pieces of old creation that don't fit into new creation. And for that, we say, amen. Child trafficking has no place in new creation, right? Lust, yeah. murder, greed. I mean, and so, so hell becomes this image of where all of that stuff ends up, right? This, this place outside the city. Now, and, and at this, I want to suggest, is consistent with Eden and exile, outer darkness being given over. I think this is exactly like thematically. Now, I know I've, I've had people push back on this so hard. I got it. This is not the time for me to go. This is just, I'm just overviewing. Yeah. All right. Then <laughs> the question is, well, what happens outside the city? Right? And and I have no idea because, um, it, it, and it's funny. So Bradley Jerzak, we've had him on, um, and, and others too. Rob Bell made this point, you know, way back in the day, but uh, scholars have made it too, that the gates of the, the city gates are never shut. And right. there's an invitation, it seems, to come drink from the tree of life. But you have to wash your robes that you might have the right, to the tree of life and go through the gates of the city. No idea. I think making anything of that is wrong. I just, I, I'm like, okay, what do all of these hints tell us? Well, there's some texts that seem to say, ooh, it's fiery and eternal. There's some texts that seem to say, no, no, God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only son, whosoever believes will not perish. There are perish texts. Then there are texts that say all things are gonna be freaking reconciled. Right? And that Jesus died for all men that they might come in him. So you're sitting there and all I can figure out, all right, is that we're not intended to make the doctrine of hell this feature part of the story, let alone ascribe any particular details, let alone use it as an object to berate people or motivate people into faith. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Obviously, it's real. There's something. Jesus isn't just standing there saying, hey, guys, I'm giving you metaphors. Right? He, there is something. And we would all agree. We all know. And we want judgment. We know it. I mean, we're just watching shooting after shooting after shooting. And we're sitting there and, and we're, un, we're unable to do anything about this. And so we sit and we groan and we protest and we cry out and we lament, right? I mean, we hunger for a great accounting. Absolutely. And I'm saying, and what the text seems to say, is that there are things that are not aligned with new creation that end up outside the city. Yeah. 
Now, are they welcome back? No idea. And I don't even know if if because these are just the images we're given. I have no idea. Maybe maybe these are just more metaphors. It totally right. could be. <laughs> but but <clears throat> what I'm trying to beat up on is and then oh and, and oh, see this is the damn problem, Tim. Because there need to be two two more podcasts after this, and there will be about this. Because I, I'm still missing there are a couple of dynamics I haven't hit yet. Um, but but I, the big thing is I just wanted to say, if if we're telling the story from uh, Genesis one and two to Revelation twenty one and twenty two, outside the city seems to be the image. Yes. Okay. And that seems consistent throughout the scriptural narrative. Yeah. And Gehenna, it's ironic that Gehenna, where the the is the Israelites set their children on fire has become the image of God setting his people on fire if they don't repent. Right. Do you see that? That's become pretty ironic, correct? Yes. So, so. Especially with the Israelites doing that in a form of absolute wickedness. Yes. The yep. burning of their children as... Yeah. As sacrifices to false gods. I mean, it is... And, and so, of course, the human, the human imagination gets a hold of that and says, yeah, that's what God does. Right. Um, so, so, you know, Jerzak, and again, I don't, I'm not sure I buy all of his conclusions not that he cares. He's much smarter than me, but <laughs> he just makes some hay with, well, haven't we just turned God into another Molech demanding right. the fiery sacrifices of the, the wicked, right? So my biggest goal in this isn't to answer the question, what's hell? My right. biggest goal in this is to say this is not nearly the important part of the story we've made it out to be. Nor, when you, and then you begin, and, and we'll do this in a couple of episodes, then you begin to look at the context in which eternal judgment and everlasting fire and hell are mentioned. And there are some themes that are striking. The number one theme is a reversal. Right. Everyone you thought is an insider is an outsider, right? I mean, and, and, and even in that quick riff of all Jesus's, it was like the subjects of the kingdom go out, the subjects of the kingdom go out, right? If they refuse to accept the king. So I'm, I'm, almost, mm, I'm almost convinced that almost all those threats of Gehenna uh, that Jesus is giving are given to the Jews of his day about yeah. the Roman massacre that's coming outside those walls because they're about to reject him as king. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't implications. I think there are, and I think there are other passages that do talk about some sort of eschatological thing. No question about it. But when you look at, at the way Jesus is using Gehenna, it's it's not motivating belief, but it's it's... It's warning them against the way of life they're currently on. Right. And yeah. um, and it's not, I mean, there just isn't any picture of a fiery eternal thing in Jesus' use of Gehenna. Now, obviously, he uses eternal judgment in Matthew 25. You have some lake of fire references in Revelation. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got all of those. But... What I'm trying to do, and I'm sorry I'm being repetitive, but it's so important to me because, you know, I, I lose, I actually lose speaking engagements, or I have, because I don't just toe the line on 
eternal conscious torment. Yeah. So it matters to me that like I'm trying to say this well. Yes. Um, I just I I want I want to create a, a vision for what it is to follow Christ that appreciates the fact that God does God does intend that we live in certain ways. There are ways. It's true that there are ways that we live that are consistent with new creation and ways that we live that are not. And that there is um, a burden and a risk when we live in ways that are not part of new creation. Right, Our life just yeah. isn't this big, neutral, immoral soup. It matters. But to spell that out in terms of heaven and hell rewards and um, I don't, I just don't think that's what's happening. And so yeah. if I had to tell the big story, God created the heavens and the earth. They were ruptured. In the rupture, human beings um, set loose fires, principalities, and powers that we would call hell. That God will consign, he will, he will uh, as the light of truth comes on in the world, um, and the fire of his holiness shows what is real, there will be parts of, of the world that are not aligned with new creation, and a fitting term for where those go is the, the ancient place of wickedness. Um, uh, and that there will be other things that carry forward into new creation. Yeah, but what about people? It seems like he's warning people. Yep, absolutely. But his warnings of people seem to do with not eternal like um, definitions of who they think Jesus is, but rather patterns of life that cement you into the kind of person who would set fire to your children or right. not. Yeah. So, so I'm going to end it because next time, Tim, we're going to make all of this worse. <laughs> um, so I just want to say hell's outside the city. I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. I don't yeah. think the Bible wants us to know what happens. And if you really want to know what happens, it'll be surprising. Jesus is so clear about that. The other, the other theme that you see in the judgment passages, oh, I just lost it. Surprise was one. Oh, um, and number two is we have no damn right to speculate. Mm. That's so complicated. Yep. We have no damn right. So, um, and Jesus, man, and Luke, Jesus has this great, you know, there, there's this tower that falls on some people and, um, and they point it out to Jesus and he's like, do you guys think they were worse sinners than you? I tell you, go repent or you will die likewise, you know? Hey, but yeah. what about Pilate? You know, he murdered some guys. Yeah, yeah, You think they were worse than you? I mean, anytime he's seeing or images of judgment in the world were pointed out to Jesus, he was like, well, okay, why don't you take that to heart? So, so, so for me, the problem with the traditional story, the heaven and hell story is A, it gives way too much weight to hell uh, way outside of its biblical warrant. I think we and, and I think we do it because we can monetize it and fear monger it personally. Secondly, it makes my individual destiny the point of Jesus' work 
And the, the point of Jesus' work is so much bigger than that. Thirdly, it portrays heaven and hell as only future realities, which they are most definitely not. Hmm. And then fourthly, somehow we've all gotten it in our head that it's okay to speculate. And uh, if anything, the consistent biblical testimony is these are images of something serious and real, but they're not counterbalanced by God's character. It's like, no, they're expressions of it. And if we understand God to be in Jesus um, and Jesus to be a definitive and final revelation of God, I can't help but think that, um, that our view of judgment isn't completely accurate <laughs> to what Jesus has in view here. So um, anyway, I'm going to shut up because I've said so much to upset people, and that's fine. I, I, I'll stick by this stuff. <laughs> but next week, we're going to, not next week, because we have Shane Claiborne next episode. Bam! But the week after that, man, we're going to get into some stuff that blows even this out of the water. I don't, so, so I think this, this conversation we just had is 101. Okay, it's oh, just boy. it's excavating some ground to say, eh, we do not have to give up the Bible to rethink this, right? This is, I think the Bible causes us to rethink our story. But then we're going to introduce some thoughts that are going to push this even kind of broader. Um, so, I don't know. What are your thoughts, man? I've done a lot, I know. I wrote down questions, but I don't know if I want to ask them because I don't want to open up things that you're going to go into. You know what I mean? All right. But there's just so many different little things. Um, I have questions about Eden and what that, um, even even metaphorically, ideas of knowledge and judgment and whatnot. Mm. And then also... Um, wickedness itself like that's a word that came up quite a bit through the different scriptures and things that you're saying and wickedness it's like there's a fine line between righteous and wicked right it's not like you're either totally pure or you're a child trafficker correct right yeah we have varying shades of what we classify as sin no 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 let me stop you let me stop you the righteous and wicked are communal categories Okay, so that's what I'm leading towards. So when you think about, because of the way that we have presented wickedness, so the way that we do condemn behaviors in church, I'm I'm leading all this out of like a, a recent conversation about somebody who's, I no, I'll, I'll make it internal. I suffer from anxiety and OCD. And one of the ways that the OCD in me manifests is that my brain makes up things that I haven't done that correlate to things that maybe I did do that were small. And my brain tells me that I am terrible and, and cycles goes through this terrible cycle. A lot of that's connected to the shame that comes out of what you're talking about, right? Like, yeah, um, there's a fear culture that we've created about damnation that literally builds a prison that you get stuck in. And it's like, so the ver those like, those communal camps of shame and or righteous and wicked or whatever, I don't, it's just it's so complicated because <laughs> there's just so much unwiring to yes. do so, for. I, 
just so many people are are hurting and burning now and toiling right now with yeah. shame based on the way this language has been presented. Okay, bro, I got to just say this. This is so good, Tim. I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, I did hell here because it yeah. raises the these questions. What is what is it to be human? What is yes. it to be sinful? What is it to be righteous? Right? What is it to be holy? Um, and the, that's where we're headed. So I right. want to read. I figured that's why I was I, reluctant I want to, to say anything. I will, no. And this, I'm, see, I, I'm always hesitant putting this stuff out there because I'm still so in process. And, and um, I never, I don't know, I always want to, I always want to keep learning and I want to grow ever more faithful. I think part of being faithful to Jesus means we're constantly examining our um our internal furniture whether it's yeah emotionally or mental or whatever and just saying lord is this is this still is this faithful and i want to represent hell well uh because i actually think it functions in as god's judgment as really good news like Shalom, it's the place where you don't have to be afraid ever again. You know, it's right. like and 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 I think there are. I think it is I think it is possible in CS Lewis's line of thinking to become so dehumanized and degraded that you function as a subhuman. Yeah. And yes. um and 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 do those people just get a pass into new creation? And that's where a Catholic friend said, "Well, no, they refined or whatever." And I'm I'm not saying I right. buy that either. But I but I I can understand where the ideas all come from. I just think our Jewish friends when I was when I was in Israel, they just said you spend too much time about the afterlife and not enough not enough time about this life. And that's just true. The way the way we framed salvation is so much richer than going to heaven. So yeah. so everything you're saying in the shame. Um, you know, that you and I and others feel uh, because, you know, the Holy Spirit's in me and I grieve him and he's angry and then he'll withdraw his blessing and protection. And who knows, you know, uh, I live in that. I live in that with you. Um, and so that's why I think this goes next. I, that's why it's tough to end it. Just like, <laughs> okay, because this, because I do want to, it does raise the question, then what are we saved to and what are we saved from? I Absolutely, yeah. Which we've made a very, we've made it a very, I don't know, yeah. yeah. It makes me angry because even if you can't say this kind of, like you said, you 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 are treading lightly or whatever because you're in process on so much of this information. But at the same time, the way that this has been presented, I feel fairly confident in calling out and saying, you're you're wrong and you're doing more damage than yeah. good. Like you're hurting people. I feel very confident. Yeah. I feel very confident in our saying we've elevated this facet to something that that is completely harmful, sinful, and unhealthy. Well, we talked. I talked about it with a friend this morning, and we were talking about pastors who are still preaching from. They're they're not bad people, and they. I don't think their intent is to terrify and harm others. But they have grown out of this system. They're vines that have grown off of this branch, and it's kind of in their DNA still. And I still see people terrified 
and they're not sure even what they're terrified of. They're just so terrified of the of the idea of being separated and burned or tortured or yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the message in the church, and I'm like, oh my god, that worst, <laughs> right? And there, but there is something Jesus is doing. So we can't lose that. These are real warnings about a real thing. Because I I don't, we don't just, I don't think we get to do run roughshod over God's good world and uh, and do the harm that we do to each other. And then just more nuanced and complex than our version. Yeah, Yeah. get out of jail free card. You know, I mean, and again, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm talking out of my. But it does, you know. it seems, and I'll, I'll say with even way less certainty than anybody in this conversation, it does seem that Jesus and the, that entire lineage is talking about something more. That something there is more something than. more, more than just the, yes. you know, you're yes. a piece of shit and then yep. but get this card and, uh, you know, get out of jail. Like you yeah. said, get out of jail free card and welcome. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything else other than that. It seems to be so much more than that. And yeah. it embodies so much more. And we're called to embody so much more. And that's right. You know, the fact that this is life, uh, like you said, a generational life style that led people out to this valley to burn their children. Well, that's complicated too. Yeah. Lineage and, and tying yeah. in and being a part of something bigger. And, um, but then you see those threads clearly that, of, of Jesus fulfilling, but even just people leading up talking about what that reposture and what that generational lifestyle, what that not lifestyle—I don't I hate that word—but like the yeah the the posture that you live. Yeah, yeah it's adult. It's a it, that makes sense, and it's so much bigger than hey, I don't know if my six-year-old has prayed the prayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I'm not sure if if we if something happens tomorrow, will my baby go to hell right and that and you know it's like what yes yeah, <laughs> man there's it's so there's more to there's i think and feel that there's more to it than that yeah yep i'm with you man well that's where we're going um and 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 uh, it's so hard just not to start with and <laughs> no because, because there's all there's also this thread of I mean, the reward for sin is sin. Like, sin is self-consumptive, right? And that lust, makes sense. lust. You don't have to punish lust because lust punishes yes. itself. It consumes yep. you. It consumes your humanity, right? You don't have to have an external button to smite somebody. It just—it's what happens. It's built in, and that's yeah. see, wickedness is that's that's what wickedness is getting at. It's not. We have a friend, Kevin, who talks about the fickle arbitrariness of God and, you know, whether you lied or cussed or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and that's not, that's not what we're talking about. The, like righteousness is generative. Sin is destructive, uh, or, um, consumptive. And, uh, and so you're invited into patterns and habits of life that either generate resurrection life or generate or they lead the, to a valley where you burn your children. Totally, totally. Yeah, and um, and that's the, so that's the weight I think of the teaching. That's the weight of the warning. The weight yeah. of the warning is now. It's not later. It's now. 
Yeah. He's saying, Jesus is saying, listen, you know, Pharisees, you've missed. I mean, and he warned the, he warns the different groups differently. For Pharisees, they've missed the ingathering of the, the sinners. Um, for the Sadducees, their, their power structure is about to be destroyed. Right. right? Um, I mean, it, it's, and, and he's giving graphic warnings that we somehow have eternalized into my individual judgment. No, no, no. Man, Jesus is Jewish talking to Israel, warning them about their failure to be Israel. That is implications yeah. for us that Paul draws forward. But so much, many of the parables of, 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 um, Punishment are about Israel's failure and being Israel. That's yeah. it's just true. Like the the, the talents. The, I mean, I mean, you could just go on and on and on and just be like, hey, this this isn't about just me individually using my money well. Um, this is actually about the vocation that Israel had been given that had hidden, and yeah. how the the kingdom was going to go to the Gentiles who would be more faithful with it. Um, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we're into. And so anyway, to be a part of a community that, um, that surprisingly tunes in and sits through all this nonsense and then supports <laughs> and encourages is, is, is a great honor, my friends. And so I, I just want you to know, um, uh, and funny, I get emotional just thinking about it. I just want, I just want you to know how deeply glad I am for this. Um, Me too. It's a, it's, it's an amazing gift you all give. So, yes. And I, and I want you to know, we, we take Jesus desperately seriously and we, we, we want to take the Bible desperately seriously. And we want to take the church desperately seriously. Like, yeah, this is what's stirring us. It's not because we're walking away from any of these things. It's we want to walk towards <laughs> them better. No, if you guys all had like a, a vantage point into what this looks like, you know, we record these on Friday mornings, but um, Saturday through Thursday, we're texting and Marco poloing and uh, just like these conversations for us are like completely ongoing and encompass everything and inspire other facets of our life so which is in a lot of ways made possible by being able to do this yep so thank you friends really appreciate you guys all right ladies and gentlemen you know what time it is like us rate us subscribe to us but it's time for the blessing ellen i just got another text from somebody that said bring it back so here it is. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I had memorized it, but I had a couple of words off. So I'm going to, until I get it back in there again, I'm going to read it. And it's taken me a long time to turn here. All right, here it goes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And these days, friends now more than ever. Until next time, thanks. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported 
by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.